Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor Daryl Feemster. If you have your Bibles, let me invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. A few weeks back, Jess McCabe asked me, invited me to teach his class. Uh, and uh, he was in chapter 3 of Ephesians. And uh, in, my, in my preparation to teach the class, uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit enlightened a scripture to me that I'd, I know I'd seen many times, but for the first time I saw it. And uh, I got a picture of the church in a way that I have not had before. And uh, we're calling this series, The Mystery Revealed, started it last week. The word mystery is used 26 times in Scripture. It's not talking about mystic or strange. It's talking about a truth of God that has been hidden through the ages and that man will never come up, on with, come up with the answer on his own but has now been revealed. In other words, it's, it's, a, it's a plan or a purpose of God that's been hidden that God and God alone can reveal. And uh, unaided human intellect or human insight would never come up with it. But I saw something in this study on mystery that uh, has set my heart afire. And uh, so I hope you will go back and listen to last week's. It'll probably be better than this week's. But anyway, in Ephesians chapter 3, let me show you the verses. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 8. To me, Paul writing, to me who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles or the nations the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship, the administration or the carrying out of the mystery which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus. And verse 10 is the verse, to the intent or for the purpose that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. I had not seen that. To the principalities and powers in heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. We talked about this mystery. What is the mystery that has been hidden In God, through the ages. It's found in verse 6 also that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of of, of His promise in Christ through the gospel. In other words, Jew and Gentile, the nations, were all going to be fellow heirs of the same body, which is the body of Christ, and fellow partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Uh, I've studied uh, Acts is the history of the church. It's the story of the history of the church, the beginning of the church. Ephesians, for me, is the theology of the church, what the church is about. And the mystery revealed is that the Jew and the Gentiles or the nations are, are made into one brand new man. This is in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Brand new man in Christ Jesus. And it wasn't that 
He was making the Jew a Gentile or a Gentile a Jew. But when they come to Jesus, when we, when we come to Jesus, there's a brand new creation that takes place and we are placed in one body in Christ Jesus. It's through Christ that God has created an entirely new creation, one new man, the body of Christ, the church. And when I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about denomination. I'm not talking about uh, locality. I'm talking about the overall purpose of the church, the body of Christ, that in Ephesians 4 it talks about one body, one that has been since, since Christ, since it was birthed, and it will continue until it's consummated in what God has planned for its purpose. They church. The mystery is that all are going to be included. When I say included, all are invited to be a part of this one body with one Lord, with one baptism, included for the purposes of God. The thing that I did not see was, why was it hidden? And it's still in verse 10. This fellowship of the mystery, to the intent that it was to be made known by the church, to the intent for the purpose that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, by this body of Christ. And this is the part I had not seen. To the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. God hid it. That now, in this age, the multifaceted wisdom of God might be made known by the church. The church is supposed to be the display of what God's up to in the world. The body of Christ. But what got me was who we're to display it to. We're to display it to the principalities and the powers in the heavenlies. Now, there's a lot of different... Uh, interpretation of this, but I believe if you take it in the context of Ephesians, every time Paul is talking about principalities and powers, he's talking about Satan and his dominion, uh, and his minions, the demons. Principalities and powers, rulers. He does it in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, talking about we were all at one time under the prince of the power of the air. So what I'm trying to get you to see that the reason it was hidden, it was hidden because God had a perfect time in a perfect place to do something that he had always planned to do, and that is to make all things one in Christ and reveal it through the church. Now, I know that sounds real theological, but it's real practical. You see, Satan and the demonic forces did not see what God was going to do. It was prophesied, it was shared in the Old Testament in a sense. But the thing that wasn't, that wasn't shared in the Old Testament was the church. They knew about the Messiah, they knew about the, the Gentiles being included in the kingdom, and, and they knew about what God was, was going to be doing. He's going to bring all things in, into one through this Christ. But he didn't know, he didn't see how God was going to do it. It had been hidden. But now, now it's been revealed. They didn't see it. They didn't know it. But now he knows. And I've got something that I need to say this morning that, uh, you know, we're living in a day where we hear a lot about cancel culture. 
And all this that they're trying to cancel out. Folks, listen, the cancel culture's been going on for 2,000 years. God, uh, the enemy's been trying to cancel the church for a long time. He's not going to be able to, but he has a purpose in it. The purpose is that he, if he can keep us from being who we're supposed to be in this earth, he can keep ruling and reigning in this world. So, he knows now. In fact, he knows he's lost. He's lost the battle. He knows he has a short time. He knows the judgment day is coming. And until then, we have every right as the church to rub it in his face. The problem is, why aren't we? Could it be that the church is not making known the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and powers because we've lost the truth of it. Let me tell you what I mean. We've made the gospel of Jesus Christ about going to heaven when we die. Ephesians says that the church is supposed to be displaying in the world the manifold wisdom of God. But we've turned the gospel, the truth of the gospel, I don't think we did it, I think the enemy has twisted it, and we've made it about the individual, about when you die, you go to heaven. But in the meantime, just go to hell. You understand what I'm saying? The earth, everything else can just go to hell because I'm going to go to heaven when I die. God did never intend God never intended, it's not in His plan that the church sit on the sidelines while the whole earth goes to hell. God intended the church to be something now, in this life, for the purposes of God to display to those principalities and powers who's really in control. But the problem is, the church has lost its own meaning and purpose for being. We've made the gospel about someday. And the enemy has done real well at canceling out not only our testimony, but our truth. Isn't it amazing how little people think of the church these days? when it is the most powerful entity in the universe, the church. You say, preacher, that's just obnoxious. We're so weak and so... No, we're not. Not if we understand the mystery of God, the wisdom of God. So let me show it to you because you've got to get... We've got to get back. We've got to get back to believing the truth about the church. Okay, the word fellowship, the fellowship of the ministry. In other words, we don't know the fellowship of the mystery or the manifold wisdom of God or the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. We've lost it. It's been twisted and turned personal instead of becoming the truth of what God is intending to do on the earth of this day. The word fellowship could mean plan or administration. In other words, how God's going to carry out this mystery. What was God's plan? How does He want to bring it to pass? What was He accomplishing in Christ that He wants the church to make known to the principalities and powers in heavens? In other words, 
Here's the thing God's wanting to do. God has a plan to restore the earth, to restore humanity, to restore everything that He had purposed in the beginning in creation. He's going to restore it all through the mystery of the church. You say, well, preacher, I I still don't understand. Neither do I. I'm serious. How can God solve the sin problem? You see, that's a real problem in our world today. It's a sin problem. You don't have to... I mean, you just turn on the TV. You see the sin problem. Lead, it just, it's, it's all around us. You don't, even have to, you don't even have to look for it. It's there. Well, what are you talking about, preacher? Romans 5.12 in the New Living Translation says this. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone, and every, for everyone sinned. Here's the dilemma God had. Ever since Adam, we call it the fall. Here's the dilemma God has. I'm going to put it on the screen. Justice requires payment. Love desires forgiveness. Justice demands payment. The wages of sin is death. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. Justice demands payment. Love desires forgiveness, reconciliation, harmony. Well, which will it be? A holy God, and here's something I want you to know about God. God is the same. He's absolutely just. He's absolutely loving. He's, he, and everything that God is, He is in His essence, in His, in His purity. So God's love, here's the thing we, the enemy says, well, God can just forgive you if He wants to. No, He's a God of justice. He's a God of absolute righteousness and purity. And He is absolutely love and grace. He wants the world, in other words, everything God did was good. It was man, it was sin that made things bad. Well, how's God going to take care of the bad? How's He going to restore? A holy God can't overlook the penalty for one sin, let alone for the sins of the whole world. No amount of optimism, love, or mercy could put, put, put sin aside and God still remain holy. And let me tell you this. Satan's a good lawyer. He knows, he knows God's attributes better than some of us. He knows God's holy and he knows he's right and he's just. You remember, Satan was the one that brought up Job. No, excuse me. God brought up Job to Satan. And then let Satan do what he could. The whole point I'm trying to make is Satan's a good lawyer. He knows how to accuse you, right? He knows how to apply the law to your life. He knows how to apply the accusation to God's throne. He's called the accuser of the brethren. He knows how to twist and keep. Now, the thing was, 
Satan thought he had us. We were all by nature children of wrath, Ephesians 2, 3 tells us. We walked according to the power of the air, according to the prince of this world. We, we did all of these things, and he's absolutely right. And he could go before the throne and absolutely convince God that he had every in his holiness to send us to hell. How was God going to deal with that? How could a holy, just God receive, forgive, and be reconciled to sinners? You see the problem? God can't give us something else to do because we've already blown it. We don't have the capacity for good. He can't remain holy and act like we haven't sinned. How can He remain just, holy, and righteous and justify or declare right sinners? Here's where we find the wisdom of God that I think the church, and especially us as individuals, have forgotten. First of all, in 2 Corinthians 5.19, For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. The Amplified says it this way, God was personally present in Christ. Folks, we're fixing to celebrate Christmas. Listen, it wasn't just a baby that was born. God was in Christ for an eternal purpose that was hidden for all the ages. Satan knew a Messiah was coming. He didn't know God was going to be in him. So God in Christ lived the life he lived without sin So he could die the death he died for sin and conquer the grave and death in resurrection in order that he could satisfy the payment part that we might receive the love part. Now we all know that, or do we? Do we know the extent by which God in Christ really defeated the enemy. Do we really understand that the church is now the body of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ on earth now for the purposes of God, and we are all who know Jesus, who have called upon His name, who trust in Jesus, we're now a part of that body. Do we really realize that we are in that kind of relationship with God? Here's the thing. How could God do it? How could He not count our sins against us? Because Jesus, we sing the song, Jesus paid it all. When He cried out on the cross, it is finished. Everything necessary for God to be satisfied and for man to be restored was done. Romans 3, 25, I'm going to read it out of the message just because I can read out a lot of his translations, but this just says it a little different that I want you to catch the glimpse of it. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world, which was the cross, to clear that world of sin. Having faith in Him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with Himself through the sacrifice of Jesus finally taking care of the sins he had so patiently endured. This 
is not only clear, but it's now. This is current history. God set things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in this rightness, in His rightness. And don't think that it was easy for God to take the sin problem on. Don't think that it was just a matter, well, He's God, He can do anything. He just, don't ever think that it was easy. First uh, Peter 8, 1, 18 through 20 in the message says this, It cost God plenty to get you out of that dead-end, empty-headed life you grew up in. He paid with Christ's sacred blood, you know. He died like an unblemished sacrificial lamb. And this was no afterthought, even though it is only lately, at the end of the ages, become public knowledge. God always knew He was going to do this for you. Well, how does it affect us? Look at Ephesians 1-7 in the message. It's Ephesians 1-7. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah... His blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We're a free people. Free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all of our misdeeds. And not just barely free either. Abundantly free. Now here is the truth. And I think the enemy has so twisted it. That he so keeps us in bondage. I'm talking about the church. Here's the truth. You are free from sin. It's penalty and it's punishments. Not because of you, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus that paid in full the price that your misdeeds, your sins, called for. You are free. Now, here's the thing. I can hear the enemy already talking to us. Well, I'm not really free. I can still sin. Yes, you can. You know why I sin? Because I'm stupid. And if you sin, you're stupid too. Why? Because the payment has been made. To to go back... Listen, if God healed you of cancer, would you go back to playing with cancer? If God has set you free from sin, why in the world would you go back and play with sin? Because we are not convinced we're free. We still think, well, that's just who I am. Guess who's lying to you? Because if the devil ever, if he, if you ever get to know your real freedom in Christ and your real forgiveness and how clean you are before God, let me just say it another way. How much sin was in the body of Christ when he was on earth? Okay, this is a trick question. You ready? How much sin is in the body of Christ now? Ah, yeah. Do you believe that? If you're like me, you see sin all around us, don't we? That's not God's sin. That is what man does in his stupidity, in the traps that the enemy sets, in the twists of truth and the rationalization and the reason. But here's the truth that I want to set before you. You have been set free from sin. Romans 6, I, could, I don't have time to go to the places we could go. 
Here's the point. You are forgiven fully and forever. How? Not because you confess, but because Jesus died. Your confession aligns yourself up with the reality of what Christ has done. I confess because Jesus did die on the cross for my sin. I confess because I'm stupid. I'm, I'm going to get this till you start agreeing with me. I don't have to. If I sin, it's because I choose to. The church is in the sin it's in because it's chosen to because it doesn't know how really free it is. You are free. Here's the point I want to hit. Now I'll go on to the next one. The devil doesn't have anything on you anymore. Nothing. You say, well, preacher, but, 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 but we sin, yeah? And if you sin, First John 2, 1 says, I write these things to you, little children, that you sin not. But if you sin, you have an advocate before the Father. A defense lawyer. His name is Jesus Christ. And not just for your sins, but for the sins of the entire world. Christ didn't die just for Daryl's sin. Christ died for all sin because that's what separated all men from God. Jesus lived the way He lived so He could die the way He died so that He could be buried in a tomb and rise victorious over the sin and grave and the enemy. And now He has been brought in a relation. He's open, invited you to enter into a relationship with Him. Now you can be truly free from sin. Not free from accusation. Not free from the reality of being able to. As long as we're in this flesh, as long as we're in this body, as long as our mind can think those thoughts and our bodies and our hands can do those things, there's always the opportunities for sin. But let me tell you the truth. You don't have to. Because of the second part of this. You're forgiven. The devil has nothing on you. The blood of Jesus cleanses you from all unrighteousness. The second part of this, which I think is even better than the first, is found in Colossians 1.27. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the nations, the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, God didn't just forgive us, but Jesus, by His Spirit, literally comes to be in us. Ah, it gets better. 1 Corinthians one thirty, And he's talking about the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. At the end he says, but, but of him, of God, or out of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I want you to see it. Here's the mystery. It's been hidden. Christ comes to be in you. And God places you in Christ. Christ comes to be in you, and God places you in Christ. You become in union with Christ. It's all through Scripture. 
The Amplified says this about verse 30. It says, But it is from him that you have your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom from God. He revealed to us a knowledge of the divine plan of salvation previously hidden, manifesting itself as our righteousness. We've been made right with God, thus making us upright and putting us in right standing with God. And our sanctification or consecration, he's made us pure and holy. And our redemption, providing our ransom from the eternal penalty for sin. When you trust Christ, God places you in union with Christ. And I discovered another scripture that was just, it blew me away. Because it appeared in a place that I never expected it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, in the time that Paul was writing about sexual promiscuity, he just plugs in this verse. And the verse says this, But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. He that is joined, in other words, when by faith we come and accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, accept and have absolute confidence in what he did for us, when I come that that he is joined, that I am joined to the Lord in one spirit. The words with him are in italics because they're not in the original language. But it's implied, in other words, I'm joined in one spirit with him. When I believe and receive Jesus Christ, I'm literally recreated. I'm born from above, he told Nicodemus. God's life His DNA was lifed in me. His very spirit came to live and give life to me. I literally have the blueprints of what God has intended from the beginning written in my spirit. I became a new creation, God's masterpiece, created for good works, which He had planned before that I should walk in them, Ephesians 2.10. I wasn't refurbished. I wasn't reworked. I was given a brand new life. I became someone I had never been before. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. I am now a part of the body of Christ, the church. Christ lives in me. He lives through me in this world I now live in. Yes, I'll go to heaven when I die. How do I know? Because right now, Christ is alive in me. I have been birthed from above. There's different ways of saying it, but here's here's the genuine truth. I have been brought. God has by His grace, through my faith, has connected me in union with Christ where I literally become a part of His body on this earth. Now, why would I take that and and get involved in anything but what God's up to. Because the devil knows that he's got to keep you off kelter. He's got to keep the church confused, divided, distracted. Because if we ever come to be one new man, We're the most powerful entity in the creation. Because God said, I have determined it's been according to my good pleasure to to bring all things together in Christ, in His body, on earth and above the earth. All things, heaven and earth. And God's invited you to be a part of it. 
why in the world would we take a step back and think that something this world can do can cancel us out? I think we need to take a step forward in who we are and recognize that all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto Christ. And he said, now you go. We have delegated authority to represent Christ, not just act like we know what we're doing, but literally by knowing, hearing, and responding to Jesus Christ, that when we do something, Christ is doing that through us. And we are absolutely free. The only thing that can keep us from doing that is the enemy keeping us deceived. I asked the Lord, how can I make you see this? And, and I think he gave me an illustration, the difference between a circle and a sphere. I have two minutes, and I can't do it. A circle. A circle. You give me five more. A circle. You know, most of the time when we think about joining a church, and we're, we're, we're joining in, the, we're, we're stepping into a body. We're stepping into a church. We're, we're, you know, the circle. And so we stand in the circle. But here's the thing about a circle. I can be in the circle, but not be in union with the circle. Okay? I can be in, I can join the, I can join, and a lot of people look at joining, that's why you can leave the church. Because you can step out of the circle. Well, I, I once was part of that, but I'm no longer part of that. Well, listen, when you're a part of the body, you can't ever be not a part of the body. Because it was God who put you there. Now, you can mess up, but you can't be taken out unless God takes you out to take you home. Here's the point I'm trying to make. The difference is, what if it's not a circle? You see, a circle is only floor level. What if it's a sphere? I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me, and now I am... uh, from top to bottom, from right to left, I am included in Him, in this body, in this sphere of Him, His, His reality. I'm within it. It's within me. I'd be surrounded every side, above, below, before, behind, to the right, to the left. The sphere surrounds me and separates me from whatever's outside of it. If the sphere is is strong and, and has authority and, and, and really has done what God says it's done, then it protects me from whatever is within it, protects whatever is within it from all that is without, from all external foes and perils. And the sphere supplies to whoever is within it whatever it needs. Here's the truth I want you to see. No harm will come to the body of Christ. Hurt, yes. No harm. The martyrs could be beheaded, but no harm came to them because they were in the body. They were no longer on the earth, but they were in the body. They were in the sphere of what God is intending and what God had planned. And God works all these things out together for good. Man, I wish I had 20 more minutes. Christ is not a system to be believed in, but a person to be entered into. He's to be the sphere of the believer's whole life and being. Christ Jesus embraces and receives and surrounds the believer in his own life. He separates the believer in himself from all hostile influences. He protects him in himself from all perils and foes of his life. He provides and supplies in himself all that's needed to live in this world. God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus.
Folks, listen, he's not up there and we're down here. You're in him and he's in you. That's who you are now in this world. You're part of God's plan. You're to display the manifold wisdom of God. Well, how do you display? You, you ever seen a prism? A prism can take a light that you can't even see, but as it hits the prism, it will be displayed in the variegated colors that was in the light. The prism doesn't change it. It just manifests it. We are on this earth for this time to receive the light of the gospel and display it to principalities and powers in the authority of Jesus Christ to where the whole world will know Jesus is right. You're God's prism. You're God's prism. And the only hope Satan has of prolonging his judgment is by keeping you confused distracted and self-centered it's not about you it's about him and what he's doing in the earth let me close with two questions do you believe do you recognize and have complete confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse you from all sin? It's not a rhetorical question. Do I have complete confidence that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all sin? The second is, do I believe, do I recognize and have complete confidence that God has placed me in Christ and placed Christ in me Do I really believe Christ is in me and I'm in Him? If I do, I have the source and the resource for everything necessary to live the life God intends me to live on this earth now. The question is, do I believe it? I'm like that father. Lord, I believe. Help me my unbelief. Lord, I want... To stand fully convinced of what you've accomplished in your wisdom on this earth. That you might display it through me. All right, let me give you a few quick announcements before we leave. And you can go shine your light the way God created you to be. Um, One more thing. Ephesians 1, 9. God made this known according to his good pleasure. He did this because he loves you not to cover something up. Okay? It's not because of what you did. It's because of what he did. He loves you. That's why you're this way. Okay. If you want to have coffee at Common Grounds, do it this Friday because it's the last Friday for the rest of the holiday season. So be there at 7 o'clock. Drink Friday. uh, Drink Friday. Drink Friday in. Um Drink coffee, have fellowship with one another. Last one for the holidays. I'm still just me, okay? (laughs) Men's breakfast this Saturday, December the 11th at 8 a.m. in the fellowship hall, okay? Men, bring your sons, bring your brothers, uh, fellowship with one another. Going to have a great speaker. Don't know who it is. They probably don't know who it is yet either, but it's going to be a good time. And if you're in junior high or senior high tonight, Meet over at NCC West Building, 5 o'clock. It's a pajama party. Why would you not want to do that? 
Okay? So bring a friend. Y'all go do that. Let me pray for you real quick. And me too. Father God, thank you. You made us the way we are. And Lord, I thank you that because of who we are, your light can be shined and seen by others here on this earth. Lord, I thank you that all we have to do is just be still, know that you're God, and do what you've asked us to do. Help us be that in the world we go out into today and for the rest of this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 